Let's turn again in God's Word to the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. As we continue on, we could say with part B of uh, the message from this morning, as uh, God's Word continues on and what we break up as a paragraph here, all falling under that therefore uh, that we begin with in chapter 12, verse 12. This evening uh, we will be reading verses uh, 12 through 24, although we're looking at only verses 14 through 17 in our message tonight. But it gives you the background of where we were. It also gives you forward-looking, Lord willing, of where we will be going here. Verse 12. Let's hear the very breathed-out Word of God to us tonight. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, a heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Our Father, we give you many thanks in your providence, bringing back our spiritual leader. Will you give him clarity of mind to explain the word to us? Will you prepare our hearts to receive that word and the explanation of it to your honor and glory? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. Thank you, brother. So this morning we, we dealt with, if you missed it, we were dealing with verses 12 and 13 
this call that is given, this therefore based upon what had been come previous in Hebrews chapter 12, the witnesses, Jesus Christ himself as the author and perfecter of our faith, and because of the Lord's discipline. So the Lord now comes with a command, and the command to the people of God who are exhausted with the fight, those who are ready to turn back. Those who are ready to give up and say, I quit. I'm going back to the other side. I'm going back to the enemy. I'm going back to the old way as these folks would have been going back to the law. Going back to works righteousness. And the command that comes to them was that command to lift up those drooping hands. To strengthen their weak knees. To make straight or level paths. So that the lame indeed might be healed. And as we ended that message this morning, we're we're looking at, and by what means? How How am I going to do that? And the Lord comes beside us and says, I send you a helper. I will send you the helper. In a few days, uh, next week, not this Thursday, but the next week, Thursday, we'll celebrate together with our brothers and sisters from Walker the ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Historically, ten days after that ascension of Jesus Christ, that spirit was indeed poured out. That helper, the one who is going to be with them, the one who is going to assist them, the one who is going to strengthen, the one who is going to help them lift up those drooping hands, the one who is going to fill them and empower them to be the church of the living God, to be the soldiers of Christ that we are called to be by faith, through the means of grace that God provides to us. We as those soldiers move forward. So let us suppose then that we are those soldiers. We've been invigorated. We've been strengthened. Where knees are no longer weak, uh, we're now ready, we've, we've gotten the, the level field, the track ready. Okay, Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to go forward into this world? Well, as the Lord always does, the Lord doesn't use human logic and human reasoning. The Lord doesn't use fallen thinking. That's why the the passage of Romans chapter 12, Dan and Kayla, of do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Let's put it in the context of political battle. Okay. We are engaged today in a, in a time and age uh, of our nation, probably, uh, I, I, I don't want to overstate it, but there's a big divide, right? There, there, there's a huge gulf that exists politically in our nation. How do they go about their warfare? How do they go about their battle? Right? 
They go about it by name-calling. They go about it by rioting. They go about it by anarchy. They go about it by the, the weapons of this world. They go about it by tr Twitter warfare. They, they go about it through media blasting one another. What does the word of the Lord come to you and I and say? Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Don't think that the battle that you and I are to engage in now is the battle using the weapons of the war, using the techniques of the enemy, using the techniques of Satan and his schemes, using that rage and anger. That is not how we're to conduct this fight. We are to be transformed. By the renewing of our minds, approving then what is God's perfect and pleasing will. I have heard the use of a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 used often, especially during this past year. I want you to turn to it a minute. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I want you to find verse 13. This is what we hear. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Period. End. That's it. That's what they quote. Yeah, men, go out there as Christian warriors. See, be men, stand there, strong. Yeah. But what is the strength? See, can you just cut the, can you just cut the statement off? See, that's what we do. We live in a cut-off world. We don't take the whole word of God. We don't take the fullness of the word of God. We take that piece that we want to use to drill the enemy. But what's the whole thing? What's the whole passage? Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Hmm. Let all that you do be done in love. You mean even the warfare that I am to engage in as a Christian soldier? Yes. But Lord, you've strengthened my hands. You've lifted up my drooping hands. You've strengthened my weak knees. For what purpose? To engage the enemy. To go to war. To stand strong. And whatever you do when you go out there in that field of conflict, do so in love. See, in our day and age, people call, you know, that, that oh, that's just wimpy. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. The strongest man that ever walked this planet 
upon dying on a cross, says, Father, get him. Father, get revenge. Father, nail him. Father, give me the strength to come out off this cross and I'll grab that spear of that centurion and I'll start slaying every one of these. The strongest man that Scripture would place before us, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the kind of Christian soldier we need today. Because notice what the passage does. Notice what happens now. Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. I don't think that's going on. I don't think that's going on in our world today. I don't think it's going on in the church today. I don't think it's going on in the church world today. I think what's going on today is there are agitators. I think there are people who are out there just kind of poking away at it. Come on, let's raise a fuss. Let's raise a problem. Let's be an agitator. Let's be a troublemaker. Really? What does the word say I'm supposed to be doing? Does the word say that's what I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian soldier? No, I'm supposed to be striving for peace. You mean the reason, Lord, you want this army to move forward in the name of Jesus Christ is not to literally destroy the whole mass of them? No, no, that's not the point. No. No, I want you as a Christian army to go forward striving for peace. That word to strive has the idea behind it of to make every effort, to run after, to pursue, to make use of all means, to follow after the one who is called the Prince of Peace. Does that mean Jesus just looked past issues? Of course not. Does he just look past the Pharisees and Sadducees? No, he deals with them. But to what end? What is the purpose? That he might bring abiding peace. We are to strive for peace. Not only within the church... There is, there is this call that within the body of Christ, particularly within one's local body of Christ, we should be striving for peace. That's why the song, How Good and Pleasant is the Sight, when brethren make it their delight to dwell in blessed accord. Oh, how God delights in the unity of the body of Christ. How God enjoys that, that we don't nitpick each other to death. That we don't just kind of want, just grade one another back and forth until we're, our emotions are so raw, we can't stand to be in the same pew as the next person. Oh, how good and pleasant is the sight. 
It means we don't take offense when, when there is no offense that is given. And yet we do that today. Oh, I'm so offended by what you said. What did I say? I don't know. But I was offended by it because I just don't happen to agree with it. Behold how pleasant and how good. That's Psalm 133. This is, this is God's delight. He wants his church to be striving for peace. Right, imagine a, a group of soldiers. Some of you have been out on the battlefield. You know what these things are like. You, you have been involved in conflicts. You, you've been there. Imagine if, if you're supposed to go out and fight the enemy, but you as a group are fighting amongst yourselves. If there is no unity amongst yourselves, how in the world are you going to fight the enemy? If we cannot get along together as brothers and sisters in Christ, how are we going to make a difference out there in the world? Striving for peace. Unity, not disunity. We are not to be quarrelsome people. We're not to be picking quarrels. Right? A quarrelsome person is a person who, no matter what it is, they're upset. No matter what it is, it's never good enough. It's never right enough. Because it isn't their way. It isn't the way they want it. And because it isn't their way, because it isn't the way they want it, mad, angry. And I'm going to take that and I'm going to make issues out of it. And I'm going to bring about disunity. That's my purpose. That's not what God's word calls us to. That's not being a, a Christian soldier is not one who is quarrelsome. A Christian soldier is one who is striving for peace within the body of Christ, but also within the world. Think of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5 regarding enemies. Think of what God's word says in regards to peace. Seek to live at peace with all men as far as it is possible. As far as it depends upon you. In other words, we're not a pot stirrer. That's not what we're called to be. We are called to be those who strive for peace. Pointing men. Pointing women, pointing children, pointing unbelievers, pointing the Apostle Paul as Saul to the one who is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. We are to be striving for peace. But also, we are to be striving for holiness. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. What an amazing passage. Now the word that's used here in Greek for holiness does not mean a state of perfection that one has already attained. It is the idea that is being presented here of sanctification. The process of becoming more and more holy. Without the presence of of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives, we will not see the kingdom of God. 
Right? We went over this in, in Dr. Tim's Sunday school class this morning. You can't be a believer unless you're born again. You can't be a believer unless you've been converted. You can't be a believer unless there's been repentance. You can't be a believer unless there's faith in Jesus Christ. All those things are the work of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Without the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. And what is the work of the Holy Spirit? To draw us to be more like Christ. To be more like Christ. Holiness. That's, that's what we're to be striving for. To have that Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Indwelling, sanctifying us. Not through the rituals that these people were so tempted to go back to. But through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to go into this battle. I'm supposed to go into this fight, into this conflict. Because it is a conflict. There is the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And there is an antithesis. They are at war with one another. And just as much as those who are in the kingdom of darkness are at war with us, so we are at war with them. We are in a battle. But we do not fight as they fight. We do not use their tactics. We do not come from their mentality. We are transformed people, not conformed people. Because we're striving, first of all, that we wouldn't be fighting. And secondly, we are pursuing it with holiness. We are pursuing it without the taste, without the hint of sin. Put away then, Paul said, all bitterness, all anger, all rage. Which is what I see far too much of in this Christian world responding to the unchristian world in which we live. It's bitterness and anger and rage. It's not a striving for holiness. It's even to take the language of the world and to use the language of the world. Oh, I'm going to show how strong I am because I'm going to use some bad language. That's Christ-like. Yeah, but it's cutting edge. It may be, but it isn't Christ-like. That isn't manly. That's conforming to the world. We are to be those who are pursuing holiness. What's that? Being like Christ. Because that's where the Holy Spirit is bringing us. 
Now, when, when we get to glory, we're going to be like Christ. Because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do with us. Here, the Holy Spirit is working on us, getting rid of all those rough edges, getting rid of the world and our conforming to the world so that we can indeed fight the battle of the Lord. But as the hymn writer put it, it's not with swords loud clashing or roll of stirring drum, but with deeds of love and mercy that the heavenly kingdom comes. So as we engage this enemy, and the enemy we must engage. This is not walking away from the fight. This is heading headlong into the fight. But we had better know how it is that we are going to be fighting. And we need to shed all the stuff of the world. And we need to hear the voice of God speaking to us. Striving for peace. Striving for holiness. Set apart from the world. Living differently than the world lives. Secondly, there is a seeing to it. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See to it. Want to know what our duty is as soldiers, as Christian soldiers? See to it that no one misses the grace of God. That no one misses the grace of God in our lives. That no one misses the grace of God in our speech. That no one misses the grace of God in our conduct, in our way of thinking. That no one fails to obtain grace. Am I my brother's keeper? Asked Cain. Yes, I am my brother's keeper. I am responsible. I'm responsible for you and you're responsible for me. We are responsible for one another. We need to make sure that none of us fails to obtain grace. That we encourage one another. That we support one another. That we are encouraging one another in this striving for peace and in this striving for holiness. No, it's awkward, isn't it? We don't talk this way. No. Somebody came up to you and said, so how goes your holiness this week? You'd kind of be taken back, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? How goes my holiness? Well, are you more holy this week than you were last week? Oh, no, I'm, I'm just a sinner. No, you aren't. You're a saint. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. How'd holiness grow this week? How are you more like Christ this week than you were last week? Maybe we should talk that way more with one another. Maybe we should prod one another along that way. Maybe we'd be less lazy. Maybe we'd actually get into God's word. Maybe we'd actually pray more. See to it that no one fails to obtain Grace. 
But he goes on. And that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. It's not only don't, don't you be the one who is the root of bitterness that causes trouble. Don't let it happen. Don't let it start. Don't let it begin. Right? We're all about at the stage. Maybe some of you are far beyond me, but maybe some of you have already rototilled the garden. Maybe some of you already got sugar peas in. Maybe a few of you planted some beans and you're well on your way. Some of you as, as farmers, perhaps you've been out on the field and uh, we went past a, a Boldhouse farm yesterday and they're out planting corn okay? and, and things are moving. It's the greatest enemy of that crop. Weeds, that which takes root, that which chokes out, that which destroys. That's what bitterness does. Bitterness in, in the body of Christ robs it. It sucks its life out of it. See to it that that doesn't happen. We did an interesting experiment this year. I've always heard, you know, about the fact that, that some of you, and some of you as farmers, you're just going to laugh. You're just going to go, oh, Pastor Bob, of course. Right? I've always heard of farmers who plant winter rye. Right? I never knew why. I didn't know why farmers planted winter rye. Okay? There was a part of me that thought, I think it's for soil erosion. I think it's to hold the soil so that the soil doesn't erode. Okay. So I thought, I'm going to try it in my garden. So I planted winter rye in my garden last fall. And it came up nice. Actually, I can grow winter rye. I do okay with that. Okay. But Sandy noticed something a couple of weeks ago. She looked at the garden plot and she said, do you realize there are no weeds in our garden? Now, about this time, most years, okay, the thing is overcome with weeds, right? And I spend most of the time rototilling, raking, get rid of weeds and all that stuff that came up over the winter. There are no weeds in our garden. Do you know why? I, the farmers are going, of course I know why. Because in winter rye, there is a chemical that when it is in the ground, it releases and it prevents weeds from growing. See what the church needs? Church needs to be planting winter rye. See, when we plant winter rye, it keeps the weeds from growing. What is the winter rye? Christ. See, when Christ is truly planted deep in our hearts and in our lives, that keeps bitterness from growing within a congregation, within our own hearts. Right? You may be saying to yourself, yeah, I got kind of a bitter heart. I'm, I'm pretty bitter about things. I'm bitter about my life. Well, the antidote to that is Christ. You need to plant Christ. Because it's Christ who drives out the bitterness and keeps the bitterness from allowing to take root in our hearts and in our lives. As we go forward as Christian soldiers in this world, 
Right? You might say, why are you talking so much about Christian soldiers? Because when I'm done with Hebrews, we're moving back, we're moving to Joshua. And we're going to learn from Joshua, how do you fight spiritual battles in Canaan? Filled with Canaanites. Because that's the world in which we're in. Right? So this is kind of preparation to get us to there. But we have to understand the basis out of which we have to operate then. Okay? That one, we have to make sure everybody's on board, that nobody is missing. Two, we have to make sure that there are no weeds taking root. Bitterness that is setting in, that is residual, and that's just going to keep coming up and up and up and up and up. We need Christ planted deep in our hearts, deep in our lives. If we're going to go out as soldiers of Christ, I don't want to go out with just part of Christ with me. I want all of Christ with me. Right? Because that's actually what the Lord said to Joshua. Fear not, for behold, I am with you. And he was with him fully and completely. And see to it, See? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Actually, it means stained, okay? Restained. And that no one is sexually immoral. Paul ties in the power of the church to move forward in its battle with the world to sexual immorality. Paul's going to mention that again in uh, chapter 13, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. There is a call here for the church to, to be pure. It's not just adultery, but it's also immorality. The immorality of our language, the looseness with which we, the vocabulary that we allow. We, we talk about people's sexual parts, and it's like, that, this, is not, this is not for the church. This is not the way we carry on. This is not who we are to be. As Christian soldiers, we're to be free. We're to put apart, put aside that kind of immoral, not only life, but that immoral language, that immoral conduct, those immoral thoughts, the immoral activities. We are to have nothing to do with it. If we're to be the church of Jesus Christ in a battle against Satan and his forces, we need to do so moving forward in purity. But then he closes this section with Esau, right? So we have this situation placed before us. That no one is sexually more or unholy like Esau. And it's not like, where did he come from? How come all of a sudden we're talking about Esau? Well, what did Esau do? Esau sold his birthright for a single meal. Now remember the context that we've been dealing here with Hebrews. These are people who are Christians but are being drawn back into Judaism. They're ready to sell their birthright in Christ 
for Mount Sinai with all its pageantry, with all of its law, but also with all of its judgment and with all of its fear and with all of its condemnation. Esau, you see, did it. These people are contemplating, and the book is coming as a warning. Don't do that. Don't go that way. Esau did. He sold his birthright. He was unholy. Not only in the fact that he married two Canaanite women outside of the covenant who were non-believers, who were pagans, that we are reminded of in 2 Corinthians 6.14, that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But it's not only that, it's that he was godless. He rejected the promises of God. He sold them for a bowl of porridge. The immediate satisfaction of that porridge was more important to him than the promises of God in Christ. Here are these Hebrew people who have converted to Christianity. And Paul is, or the author is saying to them, what you're thinking about going back to is like the bowl of porridge of Esau. You're selling out for something temporal. When you have the promises of God. So that comes to us now too. We have to be remindful that we don't sell out. We don't sell out when we're 10. When we don't sell out when we're 15 or 18 or 25 or 35 or 50 or 75 or 93. That we don't sell out. For a bowl of porridge. Because God sees that as unholy. God sees that as rejection. Therefore, God rejected him. For you know, verse 17, that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Who rejected him? God. No, Isaac, you can't give him a blessing. No, no, you can't do that. No, you, he can't get it back. No. No one who has tasted the goodness of Christ and then turns away can again come for repentance. Oh, that was in Hebrews 2, I believe. God rejected him. But we say, but wait a minute. It says he, he saw it with tears. Yes, what Esau sought, he sought with tears. But you know who he sought it from? You know what the text tells us back in Genesis? He sought it from Isaac. Esau never turned to the Lord. Esau never turned back. He comes to Isaac and he says, you, 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 dad, please, you can give me a blessing, right? Come on, dad, you can do it. But he never turns to the Lord. He never comes back to the Lord. The tears that he shed were to Isaac. But he didn't shed any tears to the Lord. And that section about Esau is a warning. Because Esau too was part of the covenant. Esau too had been circumcised. But he turned his back upon the promises of God. And he loved the things of the world 
more than the things of God. As we go forward, as God's Christian soldiers, armed with His Holy Spirit, encouraging us, strengthening us, we need to be mindful of the manual that He, as our commander, has given to us. We don't get to fight the war on our own terms or what we think is successful. We fight the war based upon God's truth. Be men. Do everything in love. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Strive for peace. Strive for holiness. As my soldiers, God commands you and I to go out into this world to fight the kingdom of darkness, but to fight it in the name of Christ, for the glory of Christ, for the honor of Christ, with the love of Christ. And God's people say, Father, thank you for your word. This is challenging. This is not the way our minds are set up. This is not the way that we, Father, come into this world programmed to think. We think punch deserves punch. Hit deserves hit. We see it in our children at the dinner table. One hits one and the other hits back. That's the way, Father, as, as people of the world we respond. But Lord, we've been transformed by the power of your word through the power of your Holy Spirit so that we are no longer conformed to this world, but we're transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit to live, to respond, to fight differently in this world. God, we pray that you would grant us the wisdom Grant us the discernment, grant us the courage, grant us the faith, grant us the conviction, grant us the love to fight in this day, in this age. For Lord, it's only when we are faithful to you that we can expect your blessings upon our battle. In Christ's name, God's people respond. Amen.